Welcome to the Michael Slate Show, and I'm your host, Michael Slate. And I've got a show for you today. Well, me and my friend Henry got a show for you today. And it's one that's going to knock your socks off, all right? So pay attention. At the back end of the show, we'll hear part of a piece recently broadcast on the Revolution Nothing Less show, the RNL show, a weekly broadcast on the YouTube channel, The RevComs. Now, this is a dramatization of Bob Avakian for the liberation of black people and the emancipation of all humanity, an article first published in September 2020. So stick around for that. Don't miss it, I'm telling you. Before that, we'll hear from Bob Avakian, the chairman of the Revolutionary Communist Party, on Emmett Till and Jim Crow. Black people lived under a death sentence. There, never forget that. And opening the show up, we'll hear a special commentary by Andy Z, the co-host of the Revolution Nothing Less show. On July 13th, Bob Avakian, revolutionary leader and author of The New Communism, posted a statement on the website revcom.us. It's called, This is a Rare Time When Revolution Becomes Possible, Why That Is So and How to Seize on This Rare Opportunity. In this statement, Bob Avakian, or BA, speaks to some of the big questions raised by a declaration, a call to get organized now for a real revolution, published earlier this year by the Revcoms. So let's hear Andy Z. We mean what the name of our show says, revolution, nothing less. This is what the planet we live on needs. What humanity, if it is to survive, needs. What the youth of all nationalities for whom this system has no future need. What black and Latino youth who were dogged, if not murdered, by the police, who are locked in prisons and jails by the millions whose lives are too often reduced to killing each other over what amounts to a pitiful piece of turf, need. And what those not in the life, but who seek safety behind apartment doors or in homes with windows barred like a kind of prison, what they need. What women who should be able to live as full human beings, free from the threat and the reality of sexual abuse and even rape and the basic right to control their lives and reproduction need. What trans and all LGBTQ people who are under assault from fascist thugs and fascist politicians who want to come back into power need. What students who spend 20 years of schooling only to end up deep in debt with atomized jobs, lobotomized, producing trivial pursuits need. What those who are able to work in healthcare and teaching only to be thrown up against the brutal wall of this profit system and the political setup that thwarts their desire to heal and to teach. A bitter reality that burns a deep wound in their soul. What they need. What all of us need. What humanity needs is revolution, nothing less. People want change. People in their millions don't want to live like this. But up against recognizing and getting with revolution, nothing less, for a radically different and far better world, looms something else, the terrible present. This sits in the back of your mind and it pushes to the front sometimes at night and sometimes when you least expect it and it fills you with fear or dread of the morrow. A fear of the future and a burying of hope that causes you to turn away from the reality that stalks humanity, making you feel that all you can do, all that you should do is take care of you to protect your little corner in a shooting gallery of rivals, whether on the internet or to protect your little 
corner in a deadly neighborhood warfare. But you, but we, can't hide from the fires that burn and now smother much of this country with smoke. From the water running dry, from the rising seas, and most of all from the great conflicts among the rulers that roil this land and the world. To see this potential, to pierce through the fog of what is, requires the most scientific approach to the reality we face. The Revcom statement, a declaration, a call to get organized now for a real revolution says, quote, this system is in real trouble, caught up in crisis and conflicts for which it has no easy or lasting solutions. Throughout this country, the workings of this system have given rise to deep divisions which cannot be resolved under this system. Society is being ripped apart. Those who rule are locked in a bitter fight amongst themselves and they cannot hold things together in the way they have in the past. Although there are a lot of bad things connected with this and it could lead to something really terrible, it is also possible that we could rent something really positive out of it, revolution, to put an end to this system and bring something much better into being. A declaration of call says revolutions are not possible all the time, but are generally possible only in rare times and circumstances, especially in a powerful country like this. And it says, this is one of those rare times and circumstances. This statement is as bold and as shocking to people who have not thought of revolution, not thought it's possible for decades, caught up and confined as they are in the world as it is on the surface today. And we have said these words for a few months on the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show, and we have worked to bring them to life. But now, Bob Avakian, the revolutionary leader and author of The New Communism, has written a major piece, a companion to a declaration, a call, a lifeline of clarity titled, This is a rare time when revolution becomes possible. Why that is so? And how to seize on this rare opportunity? This is a work that makes the case, develops the argument for why this moment in history that we are living in right now could be ripened into a revolutionary crisis, a situation where a real revolution for a far better world could be launched in one. This is an article that deepens of our understanding of how that is so, and how we should go to work right now to prepare people, how to organize the forces today to seize the time to actually make a real revolution and drive this people-killing and soul-crushing system off the face of the earth and go to work and build a radically new society where all of humanity could flourish. Baba Vakian cuts deep to the root of the problem. He dissects the political situation. He stretches our sights wide to encompass the broad potential among many different kinds of people for this revolution. Having illuminated how this is so and what needs to be done to make this real, Baba Vakian concludes this piece with this, quote, there is the basis to seize on this rare possibility to make revolution. Even in a powerful country like this, there can be a real chance to win. If, if among growing numbers of people who cannot stand to live any longer under this people-killing and spirit-suffocating system, there is the scientifically grounded understanding, determination, and daring 
to make this a reality, end quote. Over the last few weeks, in key battleground states where the Republican fascists have a majority in the state legislatures, they've passed measure after measure restricting the right of black and brown people to vote. And more than that, they've created new rules that would enable this fascist Republican Party to overturn an election that they don't like the results of. This is a different form of rule. At the same time, over the last few weeks, some of the Democratic Party have voiced seemingly strong objection to this, with Biden intoning, have you no shame, to people who have no shame. Democrats have been making speeches, saying this is a revival of Jim Crow to a Republican fascist movement and party who have spent the last 50 years trying to do just that. Appeals to the consciences of people who have none, with Biden trying to, quote, reach across the aisle, end quote, and find common ground with fascists, an approach that Bob Avakian has said will fail miserably in his New Year's statement. In this new piece, Bob Avakian cuts to the heart of the situation with this, and I quote, These divisions among the ruling powers and in the larger society cannot be resolved within the framework that has existed and has held things together for nearly 150 years since shortly after the end of the Civil War, which led to the abolition of slavery. They cannot be resolved on the basis of the capitalist democracy that has been the normal means of capitalist rule, which has been a dictatorship for so long, end quote. I repeat, these divisions cannot be resolved within the normal framework that has existed for 150 years. Think about that. And don't turn away out of fear or because you don't wish it to be true or because it challenges your cherished assumptions and beliefs. Baba Veki makes the case for why there is the possibility of making revolution in this moment, in this is a rare time when revolution becomes possible. But revolution will not just happen. There's work to do. For the situation that makes revolution possible to become a reality, all who see the need for this need to, as the declaration, a call says, quote, urgently change the situation where not nearly enough people know about this revolution and are with it. We need to get this revolution and its leadership known everywhere. We need to challenge and seriously struggle with people right around us and all around the country to do something that, yes, it requires real heart and will make a positive difference for real for these people to become a part of this revolution and follow this revolutionary leadership, we need to organize more and more people into the ranks of the revolution. And that means getting a declaration, a call out everywhere and getting Bob Avakian's new article, This is a Rare Time When Revolution Becomes Possible, Why That Is So and How to Seize on This Rare Opportunity to get these both out everywhere. It means fighting hard for this changing ourselves, changing the world, and changing people. Baba Vakin says that everyone who recognizes the profound need for revolution needs to wage a tireless and at times fierce struggle to win more and more people to make a radical rupture with the confining and degrading terms of this system and to take up and act on the revolutionary orientation and motivation that is put forward in a declaration and call. 
He says, quote, instead of staying in your lane and going for self, while this system is moving to even more decisively crush any hope for a world worth living in, people need to be looking at the bigger picture, focusing on the greater interests of humanity and the possibility for a far better world, and then acting to make this a reality. So where to begin? Number one, with a declaration of call. And it says, begin by getting together and grappling with why an actual revolution is necessary, what such a revolution involves, and what kind of society this is aiming for. This will enable people who are new to the revolution to themselves become organizers for the revolution and to recruit more and more people to do the same. Number two. This weekend, if you are in Los Angeles or in New York City, there are mass revolution club meetings where people who see the need for real change will discuss these very questions and they'll make plans. Number three, go online and read and download it if you can. This is a rare time when revolution becomes possible by Bob Avakian and start digging into it. Here, I've just touched on its depth and scope. B.A. presents a sharp analysis of the system we live under and why it's not reformable, how it has given rise to the current acute situation. He paints a vivid picture of how we could act to hasten this revolution, and he takes the reader from how we could go to work with the small forces who are for revolution today all the way up to a situation where millions could be part of making a revolution and it could be launched. And while the whole piece resonates with a profound morality that comes from the goal of the emancipation of all of humanity, all of this is rooted in the scientific method and approach of the new communism that grounds not only our understanding, but our determination and our daring to make this a reality. And number four, if you are in New York City or you can get to New York, go to Revolution Books on August 4th where I will be speaking on this new work by Bob Avakian. Then on the next day, August 5th, 2021, on the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show, we're going to show a film of this presentation. So right now, start organizing a watch party of that show on August 5th with your friends. That was Andy Z with a commentary on This is a Rare Time When Revolution Becomes Possible. Why that is so and how to seize on this rare opportunity. We're going to take a quick musical break and be right back, so stay tuned. Don't run away. Come right back.
That was Strange Fruit, a very powerful song about the lynching of black people. This week, many people on social media marked the birthday of Emmett Till, who would have been 80 years old this year. But Emmett Till was lynched in 1955 when he was 14 years old, and his murder was whitewashed by the legal system in Mississippi and ignored by the federal government. But the courageous action of his mother, Mamie Till, ensured that this horrendous crime was exposed and not swept aside. In fact, it became one of the sparks for the civil rights movement a few years later. Bob Avakian has written that one of the three things that has to happen in order for there to be a real, lasting change for the better, people have to fully confront the actual history of this country and its role in the world up to today and the terrible consequences of this. So with this in mind, I'm going to play this piece by Bob Avakian. Emmett Till and Jim Crow, Black People Lived Under a Death Sentence. And again, this is an excerpt from a speech that B.A. gave in 2003. See that. Then there's a story of Emmett Till. Emmett Till was born and grew up in Chicago. In 1955, when he had just turned 14, he went to Mississippi to visit family there. His mother warned and she schooled him about what he would find in Mississippi what a young black male like himself should expect, what he must do and not do in order to stay alive. And think about the fact that a mother has to school her child that way just when he goes to visit family. But Emmett Till was full of life and full of fun. One day, while in Money, Mississippi, he made the fatal mistake of whistling at a white woman as he was leaving a store owned by her husband. A few days later, the store owner and his brother-in-law came in the middle of the night with guns and took Emmett Till away. They were seen beating him as they drove him away. His relatives began looking for his body along riverbanks and under bridges where black folks always look when things like this happen, as his uncle put it. Think about that. Think about what it means where black folks always look when this kind of thing happens. Think about what that tells you about this country. Emmett Till's body was found in a river. He was beaten and shot to death. Beaten so badly he could barely be recognized even by his mother. A 14-year-old boy lynched for what? For whistling at a white woman. In an act of tremendous courage and large-mindedness, his mother, Mamie Till, displayed his body publicly in Chicago, and she refused to have it touched up so that all could see what had been done to him. His body was viewed by tens of thousands of black people in Chicago. The story of what happened to Emmett Till aroused deep anger among black people all over the country. It shocked many white people in many parts of the country, and it became an international news story and outrage. But back in Mississippi, white people rallied to the defense of the men 
who had kidnapped and brutally murdered Emmett Till. These men were put on trial only because of the outrage around the country and around the world. Death threats and terror against black people in the area where this lynching took place was increased to keep them from saying what they knew and how they felt about this lynching. In a courtroom that was segregated, with white people filling the seats and the few black people who were allowed in forced to stand in the back, the jury of all white men found the murderers of Emmett Till not guilty in an hour. Their lawyers even accused Mamie Till and the NAACP of conspiring to cook up this whole story of a lynching. Actually, Emmett Till was alive in Detroit, these lawyers claimed. Not long after they were acquitted of this crime, the two men sold their story to a national magazine, telling in detail how they brutally murdered Emmett Till. But nothing was ever done to them. Despite a massive campaign calling for the federal government to indict these two men, the government refused. Sound familiar? Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was president of the United States at the time, never even answered a telegram sent to him by Mamie Till. J. Edgar Hoover, head of the FBI, called this brutal lynching of Emmett Till an alleged murder. And he gave much more attention to investigating the involvement of communists in protesting this lynching than he ever did to the lynching itself. But the lynching of Emmett Till became a rallying cry for black people. People stood up who had never stood up before, as Mamie Till put it. In talking about these lynchings, I'm not exaggerating any of this. In fact, I have actually left out some of the most gruesome and disgusting details in talking about these lynchings, because there is only so much of this that you can stand to talk about or to hear about. And these were not the so-called isolated incidents, the way they always try to tell us whenever they get caught in one of their brutalities and murders, the way they try to cover up the real crimes of this system and those who rule it. Thousands of black people were lynched in those times, and all black people lived with a constant terror of this. Listen to the following statement by the author of a book about lynching. He said, it is doubtful that any black male growing up in the rural South in the period 1900 to 1940 was not traumatized by a fear of being lynched. What is he saying with this? Nothing less than this. No black male growing up in the rural South in that period could be free of that fear. Every black male was haunted and scarred deeply by that fear. Think about what that means and think about how this touched black people as a whole. A sociologist who studied black life in Mississippi in the 1930s learned how deeply the threat of lynching was in the minds of all black people, from the very young to the very old. And in a PBS program on the system of segregation in the South, which was called the Jim Crow system, they quoted a psychologist who said that every black person living in the South under Jim Crow was living actually under a death sentence. It might or might not actually get carried out, but it was always there. 
Black people could be killed for anything they did which might offend some white people. And the whites who killed them would never be punished. A black man could be lynched for looking at a white woman in a way that some white people thought was the wrong way. And the whites who killed him, again, would never be punished. Or a grown black man could be killed for not calling a young white boy, sir. Or for not stepping off the sidewalk to make way for white people. Or for any reason, or no reason at all. And this was related to the overall outrages to which black people were subjected. This experience of lynching and its effect on the masses of black people can in a real sense be taken as representing and concentrating the experience of black people as a whole. Long after literal slavery, with all its horrors, had been ended in the 1860s. That was Emmett Till and Jim Crow, Black People Lived Under a Death Sentence, an excerpt from a speech by Bob Avakian. You're listening to The Michael Slate Show, and we're going to take a quick musical break and be right back, so stay tuned. Now we're going to close out today's show with the dramatization of Bob Avakian for the liberation of black people and the emancipation of all humanity. It's an article that first was published in September 2020. The entire video can be seen in episode 62 of the RNL show and on the YouTube channel, The Revcoms. And as always, you can find the link on my social media. In September of 2020, Revcom.us published a very important article, Baba Vakin for the Liberation of Black People and the Emancipation of All Humanity. Baba Vakin, BA, is a revolutionary leader who has brought forward a whole new framework for the emancipation of all humanity, the new communism. Baba Vakin has analyzed that today we are living in a rare time when a real revolution is possible. And BA is leading the movement to get organized now for that revolution to overthrow this system of capitalism imperialism. This article brings alive a crucial part of who Baba Vakin is as a person and the work he has done on a pivotal question of this revolution, for which he has a great passion. The liberation of black people and how this is bound together with the fight for the emancipation of all humanity. The RNL, Revolution Nothing Less Show, has narrated this article, adding images which include both recent and archival film footage of Baba Vakian as a contribution to telling this story. We present Baba Vakian for the Liberation of Black People and the emancipation of all humanity. One of the things that comes through most powerfully in Baba Vakian's memoir is that a profound hatred for the oppression of black people has been a defining part of Baba Vakian's life. 
From the time as a teenager, he learned about the lives of the black people with whom he developed deep ties of friendship. Never feeling that because he is white, it is not his place to be involved in the struggle against this oppression, but on the contrary, determined to contribute whatever he could to this struggle, Baba Bacon, B.A., from the time he worked closely with the Black Panther Party in its revolutionary days in the 1960s, has made the liberation of black people a defining part of his life's commitment and work. As he developed as a revolutionary communist and emerged as the foremost revolutionary leader and thinker in the world, this commitment has become even deeper and has been strongly interwoven with a dedication to the emancipation of all humanity from every form of oppression and exploitation. Listen to Noche Diaz read what B.A. has written about his life's work. Why was I doing the work I was doing? Once again, we're back to for whom and for what. I wasn't doing this work for myself. When I was young, in middle school, and then even more so in high school, my life got changed in a very major way by coming into contact with people that I hadn't really known that much before, in particular black people. I started learning about their situation and how that relates to what goes on in this society as a whole. I was drawn to the culture. Not just the music and art overall, but the whole way of going through the world of the black people who became my friends and the world they introduced me to. And I came to the point of recognizing these are my people. Now, I knew they had a different life experience than I did, but these are my people. I don't see a separation. It's not like they are some other people over there who are going through all this and somehow that's removed from me. These are my people. And then I began to recognize more deeply what people were being put through. The oppression they were constantly subjected to, the horrors of daily life, as well as the bigger ways in which the system came down on them. And as I went further through life and began to approach the question of what needs to be done about this, and was introduced to taking up a scientific approach to this, I realized that my people were more than this. I realized that my people were Chicanos and other Latinos and other oppressed people in the U.S. They were people in Vietnam and China. They were women. They were the oppressed and exploited of the world. And through some struggle and having to cast off some wrong thinking, I've learned that they are LGBT people as well. These are my people the oppressed and exploited people of the world. They are suffering terribly and something has to be done about this. So it is necessary to dig in and systematically take up the science that can show the way to put an end to all this and bring something much better into being. You have to persevere and keep struggling to go forward in this way. And when you run into new problems, or setbacks, you have to go more deeply into this rather than putting it aside and giving up. But this is why I've been doing the work I've been doing. Baba Vakian grew up in Berkeley, California. Unable because of a life-threatening illness to be directly involved in struggles taking place against racial oppression for several years after graduating from high school, 
1961, VA nevertheless closely followed and strongly supported the civil rights movement in the early 1960s, and at the same time was influenced by and supportive of the militant stand and role of Malcolm X. We declare our right on this earth to be a man, to be a human being, which we intend to bring into existence by any means necessary. This was reflected in an article that B.A. wrote at the age of 19 in 1962, supporting the struggle of black people. This article was submitted to the liberal magazine Saturday Review. Although the article was not published, the editor-in-chief of the magazine, Norman Cousins, personally replied, indicating that although the magazine had chosen not to publish the article, he recognized that the article spoke in a strikingly compelling way to very important questions. Having recovered from his illness in 1964, B.A. became actively involved in the free speech movement at the University of California in Berkeley where he was a student. The central issue of this movement was the right of students to carry out activity on the campus in support of the civil rights movement. The idea that the university could come out with regulations prohibiting civil rights activity when people were dying in the South. There's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part you can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. B.A. was among the 800 who were arrested during the occupation of the university administration building, which was the high point of the movement and led to winning its demands. As the civil rights movement increasingly gave way to a more militant black liberation movement in the second half of the 1960s, B.A. was strongly influenced by this. He left the university and dedicated his life to working for radical change. As a result of direct contact and discussions with Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, the founders of the Black Panther Party, and getting to know Eldridge Cleaver, who also became a leader of the BPP, BA worked closely with the Black Panther Party from its earliest days and at the height of its revolutionary role and influence. In 1967, BA attended rallies and spoke at one of the rallies held by the BPP in North Richmond to protest the killing there of Denzel Dow, part of the long and continuing chain of murders of black people by police. In 1968, when Hugh Newton was facing murder charges as a result of a shootout with Oakland cops, B.A. spoke, along with a number of key figures in the Black Liberation Movement, including Stokely Carmichael, Rap Brown, James Foreman, and the leaders of the Black Panther Party, at a free Huey rally held in the Oakland Auditorium on the occasion of Huey Newton's birthday. I'm going to bring you on now a member of the Peace and Freedom Party who has worked diligently on behalf of Brother Huey. I give you Bob Avakia. And I want to say that I wouldn't be on the stage, we wouldn't have been at the Oakland Induction Center if it weren't for the courageous people, the masses of people and the leaders who led and participated in the black liberation struggle all these years. Because they're the ones that taught us 
They're the ones that forced us to face what the reality of America and this system was all about. And in this sense, we say that not only are black people a vanguard, but they're an inspiration. We don't expect them to liberate us. We have to do that for ourselves. But they have inspired us to begin that struggle to end this imperialist, racist, colonial system once and for all. BA worked tirelessly to build support, including among white people, for the demand to free Huey. At a Free Huey rally at the courthouse in Oakland where Huey Newton's trial was being held, B.A. was arrested for desecrating, burning the American flag. During this time, at the invitation of BPP leaders, B.A. wrote a number of articles for the Black Panther newspaper. At a rally of thousands led by the Black Panther Party on May 1, 1969, B.A. spoke of the need for revolution and called on white people in particular to more actively take part in movements for revolutionary change in the U.S. and to support such movements throughout the world. And let me say one thing to the white people in the audience. Now, you know, Bobby has been saying for a long time, we will not fight racism with racism. We refuse to stoop to the level of a racist to hate somebody because of the color of his skin. Well, that's fine. But I see a lot of white people walk around and say, oh, good. Now the Black Panther Party don't hate me. I can go on about my business. That's a cop-out, and if you act like that, the Black Panther Party will hate you. Not because you're white, but because you ain't taking care of business to organize other people. Teach them the need to support the Black Liberation Movement led by the Black Panther Party as a strong, fearless voice against American imperialism and to link up with all the people in Vietnam, in China, in Angola, in Latin America, and everywhere else who are standing shoulder to shoulder to drive this vicious beast out of, the, out of the way and out of the pages of history. By the beginning of the 1970s, Millions of people in this country were in favor of some kind of revolutionary change, but they faced profound challenges. How could this revolution be made? Or was it even possible to make a revolution here, up against such powerful forces of oppression and repression? Which were the key forces that had to be mobilized to have a real chance to carry out such a revolution? What kind of leadership was needed? And what methods and approaches should that leadership be based on? The difficulties in confronting and seeking the answers to these hard questions, combined with brutal and often murderous repression by the powers that be, led many revolutionary organizations, including the Black Panther Party, to split and end up departing from the road that could lead to real revolution. By this time, partly because of the influence of the Black Panther Party, which had popularized the Red Book of quotations from the Chinese communist leader Mao Zedong, B.A. had become convinced not only that revolution was necessary and was possible, but it had to be led by a vanguard force that based itself on the scientific method and approach of communism, as it had been developed initially by Karl Marx then further developed by Vladimir Lenin, the leader of the Russian Revolution in the early part of the 20th century, and then in turn further developed by Mao, who led the Chinese Revolution in the new socialist society in China until his death in 1976. B.A. led in the formation of the Revolutionary Union at the end of the 1960s, 
with the aim of working toward the establishment of the vanguard party of revolution, based on the science of communism. During the first part of the 1970s, B.A. was both the practical leader and the leading theoretician of the Revolutionary Union, writing much of the essays and polemics for its theoretical journal, Red Papers. This included major articles, particularly in Red Papers 5 and 6, that involved groundbreaking scientific materialist analysis of the situation of black people, historically and down to the present. How and why their particular conditions of oppression had changed from the time of slavery to the present era, and how this objectively put black people in a potentially powerful position to be a driving force, not only for their own liberation, but for the communist revolution, whose fundamental aim is the abolition of all oppression and exploitation. These articles included powerful polemics, arguing against positions and programs that would not lead to, but would actually work against this liberation and the revolutionary transformation of the world as a whole. So when I went to prison, I started reading some of the literature. People started struggling with me in prison. People were struggling with me about, hey, if you really like serious, you got to read this. And the first thing they had me to read was Red Paper. I knew B.A. had wrote it. I had to read Red Paper 5 and 6. Because both of those were about the Black national question. I had to read it. And I had already read. I had studied, listened to Malcolm X. You know, Malcolm X, all his recordings over and over. I had read France for no wretched of the earth, you know. I had read all this stuff from like the Panthers and the Panthers leaders and stuff about this contradict this question, this black national question, and what's the solution? But when I read red papers, I had to, you know, I had to acknowledge I'd never seen this kind of approach, the kind of approach that he that he took to analyze from the time of slavery to what happened after slavery with Sheriff Jim Crow to what was going on like now with, you know, coming into the cities, into the proletariat and, and, and what, and the implications of all that for revolution, that it was even black people being in even a more powerful position to contribute to, you know, to revolution, communist revolution and stuff objectively. I had never read anything like that. In 1975, with B.A.'s leadership, the Revolutionary Communist Party was founded with the aim of being the vanguard force for the revolution that was and continues to be profoundly necessary. Over the decades since then, B.A. has fought to keep that party on the revolutionary road and to bring forward new revolutionary forces to revitalize and strengthen the vanguard forces for the revolution that is now all the more urgently required. While continuing to provide practical guidance to the revolutionary forces, B.A., through summing up the experience, positive and negative, of the communist movement, and drawing from a broad range of human experience, has brought forward a new synthesis of communism, also referred to as the new communism, which most decisively has established communism on an even more consistently scientific basis. As B.A.'s official biography explains, 
the new communism is a continuation of, but also represents a qualitative leap beyond, and in some important ways, a break with, communist theory as it had been previously developed. It provides the basis, the science, the strategy, and the leadership for an actual revolution in a radically new society on the road to real emancipation. A defining part of this new communism is the emphasis it gives to the struggle for the liberation of black people and the relation of this to the ending of all oppression. And this has continued to stand out in BA's leadership role and work over the decades up to the present. At Revcom.us, there is a special section, Baba Vakian on the oppression of black people and the revolutionary struggle to end all oppression, which contains clips from films and selections from the writings of B.A. on this question. The following are just a few examples of important works and leadership by Bob Avakian over the past few decades that speak to this decisive question. The book Reflections, Sketches, and Provocations, written by Bob Avakian during the 1980s, contains a number of commentaries speaking in a number of dimensions to the oppression of black people and the struggle against this oppression, including support for rebellions following the murder of black people by police. A night of mayhem in Miami has been followed by a day of more tension and more trouble. The violence broke out after a white male jury in Tampa found four white former Dade County policemen innocent in the death of black Miami businessman Arthur McDuffie. This book begins with the essay, Hill Street Bullshit, Richard Pryor, Routines, and the Real Deal, which powerfully exposes how terror against black people and other oppressed people is part of the job of the police. The police! I run shit here. You just live here! And is a reward for carrying out the role of maintaining the law and order that keeps the oppressed in their desperate and miserable conditions. To get another real look at what kind of society, what kind of system this is in the United States today, think about what happened to Amadou Diallo in New York. Now Richard Pryor used to have this routine he did to show what it was like for a black man just in an ordinary encounter with the police. How you had to try to avoid being one of those mistakes where you got killed. He talked about a black man gets pulled over by the police and he has to say, I am reaching into my pocket for my license because I don't want to be no motherfucking accident. I am reaching into my pocket for my license. Because I don't want to be no motherfucking accident. You have to show them and make clear and loud that you're going into your pocket to bring out your wallet. Otherwise, they'll say you had a gun and shoot you down. And for Amadou Diallo, even that didn't work. Amadou Diallo pulled out his wallet and held it up, and they shot him down anyway. 41 times they shot at him. They pumped his body with bullets. Going deeper, it speaks to how this is rooted in this system of capitalism imperialism, which has this oppression built into it from the very beginning. In the 1990s, 
BA raised the idea that there should be a day every year when people mobilize to protest police brutality, mass incarceration, and the repression by the government. This proposal was taken up in a broad coalition, including family members of people killed by police, was formed to initiate in 1996 the National Day of Protest to stop police brutality, repression, and the criminalization of a generation. At its height, over the next decade, this National Day of Protest, held every October 22nd, rallied thousands of people in dozens of cities across the country. And activities by people who have been part of this coalition have continued since then. During the past two decades, BA has given a number of filmed speeches and written articles, essays and books in which the liberation of black people and its crucial relation to the communist revolution, aiming for the emancipation of all humanity, has been a major question. BA's 2003 speech, Revolution, Why It's Necessary, Why It's Possible, What It's All About, begins with a searing exposure and condemnation of lynching. In the ugly history of this country and all its horrors, selling postcards of the hanging, in particular, selling postcards of the lynchings of black men, was literally a pastime, a kind of social activity in which all too many white people took part for a hundred years and more, even after slavery was ended. And speaks to the horrific reality of slavery and the oppression of black people down to today, including the continual murder of black people by police. In 2006, BA gave a series of seven talks in which once again, the oppression of black people and the struggle for their liberation is a major theme. Why we're in the situation we're in today and what to do about it. A thoroughly rotten system and the need for revolution. The NBA, marketing the minstrel show and serving the big gangsters. One of these seven talks, Communism and Jeffersonian Democracy, begins by speaking to the experience of black people in this country. And the question of slavery and the overall oppression of black people is, of course, a major part of this talk. It is in Communism and Jeffersonian Democracy that the following is clearly stated. There would be no United States as we now know it today without slavery. That is a simple and basic truth. This is also the very first statement and basics from the talks and writings of Bob Avakian, the Handbook for Revolution. April 2011 saw the release of Basics, which is a book of quotations and essays from Bob Avakian. And to mark this event, artists and others came together in Harlem in a cultural celebration of revolution and the vision of a new world. If you read Basics, you get the earnestness of what he's saying. You read it going, oh, this motherfucker's for real here. He's keeping it real. Because it's profound political principle that a second grader or somebody with a PhD could get with. He came out with a book called Basics. I got it the other day. 
I'm reading it. One thing I want to say to young people, please get this book. When I was in the Black Panther Party, we used the Red Book as a means of uniting a whole community and uniting each other. So get that book, read it, organize, and bring about a revolution. We have to have a revolution in this country in order to save us and people all around the world. At the beginning of BA Speaks Revolution, Nothing Less, in 2012, this point is stated emphatically. Let's start with just one great crime of this system. Police murder after murder after murder of black people and Latinos, especially youth. This is part of the powerful exposure in this speech of the role that continuing murders by police play in enforcing this monstrous system of exploitation and oppression, the system of capitalism imperialism. We are confronted by, we are now being ruled by a fascist regime, relentlessly assaulting civil rights and liberties and openly promoting bigotry and inequality. At the beginning of his October 2017 speech, the Trump-Pence regime must go in the name of humanity. We refuse to accept a fascist America. A better world is possible. B.A. speaks powerfully to the horrors of slavery in this country, including the rape by slave masters of huge numbers of enslaved women. Did you know that the Constitution adopted by the founders of this country institutionalized the right of men to rape at will. I had thought of beginning this talk with that statement. And then in response to the gasp of shock and disbelief that such a statement should call forth, I could have said, no, the Constitution didn't actually do that. But it did something no less horrific institutionalizing the enslavement of millions of people. In fact, however, the Constitution adopted by the founders did legalize mass rape. Besides enshrining property relations in which men could legally rape their wives, the Constitution, by explicitly codifying the status of slaves as property, in effect established the right of the slave owners to do anything they wish to their slaves, including raping the women. And slave women were raped regularly and repeatedly by their owners and overseers. This speech shows how the murderous oppression of black people continuing down to today is one of the main roots of the fascism that has come to power in this country with the Trump-Pence regime. And in this speech, B.A. repeatedly returns to the critical importance of the fight against this oppression. That was the dramatization of Baba Vakian for the liberation of black people and the emancipation of all humanity. The entire video can be seen in episode 62 of the RNL show and on the YouTube channel, The Revcoms. And as always, you can find the link on my social media. And that brings us to the end of yet another show. 
I want to thank my assistant producer, Henry Carson, my production assistant, Jeff Pryor, and each and every one of you for tuning in. If you want to share your thoughts and ideas about the show, or if you want to volunteer to be part of the show, write to me at mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. Once again, that's mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. Shut 